Thank you, Tracy, for reading our gospel lesson for today. And I realized that we, we passed over the boards, but actually uh, the uh, installation of board members, but I think that's actually going to work out the way that it's supposed to. Um, thank you, Tracy. Have compassion for everyone you meet, even if they don't want it. What seems like bad manners or cynicism or conceit is always a sign of things no eyes have seen or ears have heard. You don't know what wars are going on down where the spirit meets the bone. But ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. This week, Jessica and I had to make a decision. It's been a year since our beloved cat, Tonks, died, and so we went to the Humane Society to pick out a new cat. There, are plenty, there was plenty of pressure to get this right, with a three-year-old and a one-year-old in the house. I know scripture says, do not judge yet, lest ye be judged, but I personally judged each cat I looked at. I don't like the color, it's too old, it's too young, it's too hyper, it's too lethargic, too mangy looking, I just don't like it. But I must confess that I felt bad doing it. What if the cats could hear me and I was rejecting them for some petty snap decision? After all, their fur color was genetic. They couldn't help their energy level. They were kittens cooped up in kennels all day. Their age was simply their age. And each reason I had to reject them was something beyond their control. Again, I know they are cats, uh, but I still feel a little guilty. And if I can get deep and real for a second, it could be because I know what it feels like. And you do too. We have all felt that sting of rejection and exclusion for things that are beyond our control. Often we are the ones rejecting ourselves by giving our insecurities rooms to criticize us. Who would want to pick me? I'm not the smartest in the room. I'm not the most fit person here. I don't have the most money or have success like others. My job isn't as important. I'm not as outgoing as others, and my jokes often come about an hour after the conversation ended. I'm too uptight. I'm too laid back. Who would pick me? I wouldn't pick me. Raise your hand if you've played that game with yourself before. I know I have. Maybe it's, it's called being human, right? Who would pick me? We may ask the question, would God pick us? In our text, Mark reports that the whole Judean region and all the people, the, all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized. Now clearly this is a hyperbole, not the whole region of and all of Jerusalem was going out, that would have been ridiculous. But perhaps he is pointing to God's movement not merely as an invitation for individuals, but that an entire community 
found value, that the entire community was going out. Yet it is curious, why would so many people leave Jerusalem? What was so enticing about John's message that they would leave the comforts of the big city to go rough it in the middle of the wilderness? And if we read on, there are some clues. You see, Mark is the only gospel that has John baptizing Jesus. Jesus is in solidarity with the crowds. He waits in line just like anybody else. And because of that, Mark gives us the lens of what Jesus experienced, which may point us to what others may have experienced. And coming out of the water, Jesus hears these words, You are my son. You are my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus is told that he is beloved. He is told that he is a child of God, that God has chosen him. And in an epiphany, we know God has chosen him. In the wilderness, John's ministry is reminding people of what we all need reminding, that despite of who we are or where we have come from or what we have done, despite the color of our skin, our abilities, we are God's beloved. It is not earned. It is not a reward for good behavior, but simply God loves what God created. And therefore, looking out, Nancy, God loves you. Howard, God loves you. Eve, God loves you. Gary, God loves you. I wish I could go around the entire room. The crowds upon crowds of people, this entire city region encounters God's unconditional favor. Unconditional yes. Just think about friends or family that love you for exactly who you are. They know your worst mistake yet they are by your side, and nothing will change that. When you are blessed with that kind of love, you look forward to their company. You can risk being vulnerable. You can show the parts of yourself that is often hidden because you are beloved. On the back of your bulletin, there is a beautiful quote from Henry Nouwen that says this, Every time you listen with great attentiveness to the voice that calls you beloved, you will discover within yourself a desire to hear that voice longer and more deeply. He goes on to say, it is like discovering a well in the desert. Once you have touched wet ground, you just want to keep on digging. Once we realize that God loves us completely with no strings attached, we only want to be with God more. Who doesn't want to be around someone that accepts you for who you truly are? And right there, John does it. The crowds of people of different beliefs, different ages, experiences, and abilities get this thirst for the living water. That is, God's love in Christ Jesus. So often when we read this story or we think about baptism in the church, we think the choice is God's. However, it is how we respond 
to God's yes, to being God's beloved. Which is why central to John's ministry and the ministry of Christ is this idea of repentance. And in the Greek, the word repentance is metanoia, which is the combination of meta and nous, which together describes this process of stepping out of one's mindset and choosing a characteristically different mindset. This could be the prophetic mindset, concerned first for the well-being of orphans, widows, and immigrants. This is the mindset of the kingdom of God, a community that makes room for the vulnerable and lives God's justice by caring for those in need. To repent is to reflect and learn to love God, to choose God. By choosing to love what God loves. By choosing to love who God loves. As the prophets, and certainly as Jesus lives out, this is not merely an individual endeavor, but it is a collective endeavor for God's people and the community to reflect what God loves and who God loves. It requires a larger repentance. Many of you may be aware of Ohio's House Bill 68. Recently it was vetoed, but probably the language may come back sooner than we would like. In that bill, its language is geared toward youth whose beloved identity is transgender. It would deny gender-affirming care even if it was at the urging of parents and doctors. It ignores statistics that prove those that receive this medical care are 73% less likely to attempt suicide and 66% less likely to experience depression. The language of the bill would also exclude these youth from participating in social events such as school sports. It fails to recognize God's beloved. Many Christians support it and fail to recognize God's beloved. Around Christmas, there was an opinion in the dispatch about House Bill 68 by a Columbus man named Rick Colby. He describes himself as a conservative, anti-woke, Christian Republican father. And I'm sure if you looked at the poll numbers for any of those labels he gave himself, you would probably assume that he would support House Bill 68. However, his son, his beloved, is transgender. His son was the very one that would have been excluded from receiving these needed medical treatments. And because of that, Rick took on a different mindset. If he were in favor, it would do harm to his beloved son, and therefore, it would do harm to him. In his opinion, however, it is clear that he is not just advocating for his beloved, but for others, for other sons and daughters and children and their family and their friends, raising the alarm it would not only hurt his son, but the entire state. And so he spoke out against it. 
I imagine took a great risk in writing that piece. And I imagine he received many letters, especially from Christians, about how he's going to hell and how he is sinning. But for his son and others, it was good news. For he advocated for those who need to feel whole in their body and whole in their spirit. It was good news worth sharing, worth risking, worth dropping the nets to follow. We are in the season of epiphany. We will read stories of Jesus' healing and teaching and moving that is so united with God's healing, teaching, and movement that in Christ, Jesus and God are inseparable. However, this year I urge all of us to see this journey through a new lens. As Christians, it's becoming more and more crucial to reclaim the foundation of the gospel, which is the movement of Jesus is not just reaching individuals, not just saving a privileged group over another. It is, has nothing to do with getting into heaven, but Jesus' movement is about transforming community to love who God loves. And will we drop our nets and follow? Our next hymn is I Was There to Hear Your Borning Cry. Really powerful, tear-jerking hymn. This morning, I invite you to sing it as someone else. Embody someone else. Sing it as if you are a transgender child afraid to be yourself. Sing it as the Muslim mother in Gaza trying to feed her children. Sing it as if you are the person walking to the homeless shelter at night. Sing it as another one of God's beloved. And this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen.